Abba Yahweh. Thank you for this new day. Walk with me. Talk with me. Guide me, Father, in your spirit. The opportunity to share your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom with anyone that would hear and listen to what's being said, Father God, comes from you. Bring them back to your word to seek your face. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be this conduit for your word to filter out, Father. Thank you for this. Thank you for this day. So any of you out there that have an ear inclined to hear, but listening, not just hearing my voice, but listening to what's said and know that it is the truth, knowledge and wisdom that God has imparted to me to share with you. And I'm so blessed to do that thing. So I'm going to share with you directly from a reading I had because I'm really very impressed with this. But, and it goes right along with what I share with you often is this time that we have, this time that we share, this, this time that I, I get up in the morning and I meet with God. Or in the in the evening, sometimes the spirit will stir me, and I'll I'll turn over and I I read a little, or just we have conversation, meeting with God. But I'm going to share with you directly from my reading because I like it. I think you will. God speaking to us as if God was speaking to us as similitude. I meet you in the stillness of your soul. It is there that I seek to commune with you. Remember, I've shared that with you. God desires to have a communal relationship with us, a personal relationship with us. It isn't just where so many of these um, so-called Christians will go and they you know, throw themselves around and do all sorts of strange things and they think that that God is too austere and he's too... Uh, he's too separated. But the problem is, the sad part of it is, is that separation is solely in their own mind. They look at God and they see him up there on the throne. They don't look out and they see God out. They, they place God upwardly, which is a good place for him to be though because he's on the throne of heaven. And we need to keep our focus upward on higher things and not on things that are so degenerated. So they look upward and they, they see God and whenever they see God, he's sitting up on this throne and he's got his his hands on the arm of the throne and he's just looking slowly from one side to the other and the look on his face is so stern. I'll tell you, there's some that might think that I have a blasphemous vision, but I don't care because, again, 
<laughs> I, I throw that out quite a lot, but I don't care because validation for me comes from God. And I don't care what Mammon says, quite honestly. I don't care what, what anyone would say. Oh, that's blasphemous. So just like I have a member of the body who doesn't like it when I talk about what the enemy does and how capable he is. And they try to chastise me for teaching the truth. Well, that doesn't go over real well because, again, I don't care. My validation doesn't come from that person. It comes from God. And if the Spirit tells me that I need to talk about that, guess what I'm going to talk about? And if they decide that they want to hear that white noise interference and listen to that being thrown at them. And this is a type of tactic that Satan uses. Get you to believe that we're not supposed to do that or get you to believe that it's not as bad as that and get you to look in a different direction. And I say that to say this, when I, I've driven across this entire country on a motorcycle, it's actually very cool. But one thing I found is that I'm not as young as I used to be and doing so, you get kind of sick, but I prayed about it and I prayed with it and I knew that God was with me coming across for many reasons because he liked to ride with me. He was enjoying his ride and the visage that I had was that he was sitting back. I have a really nice, it's a nice cruiser and he did just sit back and, and, um, and he was, and he was enjoying the ride. His white full beard flowing in the breeze and was split down and he was just looking around and smiling and nodding and waving the people we went by. And that's what I got from him. And when it got cold, I could feel him put his arms around me. It was a great ride. And then when I got to a point, I can't remember where was, where was, uh, Valentine, Texas, I believe it was. It was quite cold that night, but I got in there and got to chatting with a fellow and then the Holy Spirit had me reach to my shirt pocket and I had a card that I was carrying and I was talking about the Roman road and, and things that we got to, and got into a part of a, of a conversation that he was sharing with me, some things that happened. And I slid my hand across the table. I had the card under my hand and I slid it across the table to him and he looked down and you could actually see the card between the space between my fingers. And he looked at that and then he just looked right at me and he says, is that for me? And I just lifted my hand off of it and he looked at it. And then he took it and he started reading it. And when he flipped it over and saw what the scripture was on there, he started to weep. And then he looked at me and he says, who are you? And I told him, I said, the spirit told me that I needed to give this to you now. And here's a, here's a very interesting, the, the beautiful part, really beautiful part beside that, 
is that my plan had been to do something different. And if I had followed my plan, I would never have met this person. Never met him. But the plan was that I was to meet him and that I was to deliver that card to him. And again, he asked me, he said, who are you? And I said, I was supposed to meet you here. And he goes, yes, you were. I stayed here to meet you because he was getting ready to leave. He was on a walkabout. And he was, he delayed. And I traveled differently. And we met at the designated place and time. Brothers and sisters, and, and this was shared in my, uh, with my life group the uh, last Thursday. They're preparing for a, a sharing and an outreach. And the thing that, that we were talking about, and it, it brought to mind... When the Spirit is leading or trying to lead you, and we get in our own way many times, so often we get in our own way. And when you go out to do something like this, you have to, don't quench the Spirit. When you feel and you start your feeling yourself getting warmed up and getting ready to go, remember to pray the guidance of the Holy Spirit, praying before you get in, during and after, and all things, and don't go off half-cocked, which Jesus told the disciples to do. And remember, I shared that terminology with you, and the analogy is that back in the olden days, or older days, or days gone by, however you want to say it, or back in the day, and there were weapons that they took out for hunting, Later, they used it in warfare, but you would half cock it. You'd pull the hammer back on it only part way. And what that would prevent to happen is that you couldn't pull the trigger to shoot it. You had to pull the hammer back all the way, so then you could pull the trigger and it would do the spring mechanism and all that. So a term came to be used back in the day. Um, as a younger man, and I remember I could hear my father talk about this all the time because you get all excited and you get wound up and get ready to do something and don't go well, don't go into that all half cocked or you know that that phrase it would come out there for any reason. So what that means translation is that you don't go because when you get in the midst of something and you're not prepared for it, and you're not ready to pull the trigger to accomplish what you were set to accomplish, it's not going to fire. You're not prepared. What it means is just you're not prepared. And the whole other portion of that is that you won't be able to pull the trigger and get anything accomplished that you plan to get accomplished until you do set that trigger. Just like Jesus told the disciples, you'll find it in the end of Luke. In the end of Luke and in uh, the first 
in Acts 1, 4, I believe. But Jesus is telling them, and he tells the disciples not to leave. Not to leave until they are filled with the Holy Spirit, until the Holy Spirit comes to them and and gets them ready to go. They're, they're not ready to go. Yes, indeed, we have a great commission, and we are to do that thing. That great commission is to take and spread the word. But if you go unprepared, and the Spirit is not with you, and you go out so excited, half-cocked, not ready to go, and not understanding, and you just go on your own, you will not have good word to share. You will make yourself appear foolish, and indeed you were because you weren't in preparation for it. And remember what the scripture tells us when they're talking about the full armor of God. And it describes the armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of truth, and that you are enshod in the preparation of the gospel. What does that mean? That means that you are studying, you got the word, you're ready, and the Holy Spirit says, okay, let's go. When the Holy Spirit says, let's go, then you go. And kudos to them being so excited and worked up, but if you go in and you're ill-prepared, and this is where sometimes the leadership fails, because they don't slow them down they get excited about their excitement, but they let them go out ill-prepared and not prepared to meet people, not prepared to know what to say and not prepared to know how to say it. And they have questions that are asked and they don't know the answer. And I get uncomfortable when I get into a situation like that. So I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is preparing me more and more and more and more and just pouring stuff into me that's really, it's really awesome. Thank you, Father. As I'm thankful for that thing and, and it's awesome to do that. But anyway, let's get back to what I was, initial point, don't let me, don't let me do that again. Hold on, <laughs> I, I get I get really excited about the word, but I try to keep myself in check because things I'm prepared to say, the Holy Spirit actually holds on to me, and it's a good thing. He lets me go a little bit, and then reigns me back in, which is good because if I go too far out, then it doesn't come out right. So anyway. I'm going to read, I'm sharing with you directly from my reading, which I really, it's profound. I, I like it really great. The Holy Spirit says I should do this. So I'm, and this is God speaking to us, or as if he, and he does oftentimes. So you need to lean in and listen to this. Don't just lean your ear and say, well, I hear, a, I hear kind of a scratchy noise. I hear this, I, I don't know what that is. And I've shared this with you before. You go into an area and you might hear uh, what they what they call now muzak, and it's piped in music that's paid for by whatever, and you can hear it, but you can't 
You can't, you're not really able to listen to it because you can't hear the lyrics when someone's singing and you can't quite tell what it is. It's just a background, but you know it's there and it's kind of nice and, and calming, and, but you can't discern what it is, not able to figure it out. So you have to incline your hearing to not only hear that God is speaking, but listening to what he's saying. And what he has said numerous times, and I meet you in the stillness of your soul. It is there that I seek to commune with you. A person who is open to my presence is exceedingly precious to me because you're offering to him, Abba, Yahweh, Heavenly Father, maker of all things made. You're yielding your openness to him. You're coming to him with your weakness, your frailty, because he is strong and he loves us. And don't forget this, brother and sister, he knows that we're weak. God's not waiting. And, and I've heard this said many times. And it's fallacy. And wherever they learn this, they need to kick it out and kick it into the curb in the gutter and let it wash away to the storm drain because it's garbage. Don't wait to be cleansed in order to come to the Lord. Remember this, that salvation is by grace and his great grace is free. No matter what you do, no matter how much you save, you can't buy it. There's no price tag. When the word was manifest and Jesus came to this plane of existence as Jesus, Savior, Emmanuel, God in us, God with us, Christ anointed of God, that was by the grace of God that that took place. It wasn't because you were cleaned up and all ready for it. It's quite the contrary. You weren't ready for it, but God loves us anyway, loves us dearly, and he wants us to commune with him. He seeks to commune with you. And remember this, a person who is open to my presence is exceedingly precious to me. God loves that idea that you want to be with your father. My father and I had a miscommunication. I thought he didn't want to be around or do the things we used to do and have catch and do stuff we did. And he thought that I outgrew him. And what took place in the middle? We didn't talk. We didn't commune. We didn't communicate. We just misunderstood each other and we kept, you know, and I, it made me very sad. I, and I thought it was him and he thought it was me. In reality, it was neither one of us. We still had the desire, but we just didn't get out of our own way until later. God desires that with us all the time, every day. Every morning before you get up, you offer a sacrifice to God. That first thing, that first 
the first fruits. And what is that first fruit? Before you get out of bed and start your day, talk to God. Offer a thanks to God. I thank God every day for my breath. Tomorrow is not promised, brothers and sisters. It's not promised to you. Don't go to bed and take for granted the fact that you're gonna jump up and get ready and you're gonna go and do it all again. And I hear many, 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 many people talk about this and up, get in, sack out, and get up for the rat race. It starts again tomorrow. And that's their outlook on life, a rat race and just they're gonna lay down and, and then get up and just go. And go and go and go. Why you got to make it a race? It's not a race. Take your time. And see, here's what we have become so used to doing is racing around for everything. We get caught up in all the things that are going on. And Satan loves that to happen. He loves that to happen. Why? Because we're not thinking about God. We're caught up in all the things that are going on around us. Like Elijah, when he went up to the mountain and he was on the outside of the mountain, and the thunderstorm, the lightning, and the the flash fire, and the wind was blowing, and it was blowing so hard that stones were being toppled and began to roll. There is an earthquake, and all this stuff, all this turmoil, all these things that were stirring up and agitating everything all around him, and he was distracted by it all, and he couldn't hear God. And if you read in the scripture about that. And it says, and yet the voice of God was not heard. And when he went back into the cave where none of that was going on and the quiet time and he sat for a moment, he could hear the voice of God in that still small voice talking to him and reminding him that he was indeed not alone but yet there were those who believed and did not give themselves over to Baal and to the false idols and worship, that they still believed in Lord God Hashim. And he was not alone, which is exactly what he was thinking. Have you ever taken a notice that when you're communing with somebody and you're sitting down and this is what it means to have sup, when you sup with somebody, you sit at a table and you don't have your electronic device out back and forth and back and forth and you don't even look up and you don't have an interpersonal relationship with the person, you're too busy with that electronic separator. And when they attempt to talk to someone or to you, you hear that they're saying something, but you're not listening, so you can't decipher what's being said. <clears throat> you can't uh, you can't decode it. It sounds like a wah 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 wah. What? I'm sorry. Were you talking to me? I was. I was. Yeah, you were busy on your phone. Never mind. It's okay. And I've done that before. I have. Didn't want to get all controversial, didn't want to get all agitated and rattled with them. But when you try to talk to somebody and they have that, they're not even paying attention. How utterly, totally disrespectful is that? And that what they're actually portraying is that you don't matter. But here's the thing, John 3.16, all lives matter. So when somebody is trying to engage in conversation or be in an interpersonal relationship, 
Put that stupid device away. Be there with them and for them. It's a tool. I use it for a tool. I try to remember that's all it's for. It's a tool. And I'm going to share this with you. I'm just quickly going. There's nothing more aggravating than when you're in the Father's house and you're in the middle of worship and praising and, and scriptures and the teachings going on. And then you hear someone's audible alerts or the phone ring. Really? Seriously? What's that? Have some courtesy. You go in, you turn it down or you turn it off. I turn, I either turn my volume all the way down or I power it off. I don't need that phone in there. Anyway, enough of my lecturing. It is exceedingly precious to the Lord when he comes to look for us and we have and we're taking time to sit down and be with him. And trust me in this too, it is nothing for you to take a moment or so and it's not going to hurt anything or anyone for you to take a moment. It doesn't have to be a great whole long tambourine, drum thumping, stomping parade, pomp and circumstance. It doesn't have to be all that. Just take a few minutes of lunchtime. At work, you take a lunch break. Get off in a quiet corner while you're sitting at the table. Commune with God. Share lunchtime with him. Quiet time, all day, all day long. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, and it can be done. I've shared with you. I do it at work. I'm going down and doing my job. I don't close my eyes and don't try to attain a prayer posture because it would really make people upset, nervous, and scare them. But talk to God. Commune with God. It can be done. But you're so worried about being engaged with everything else that's going on in and around this broken plane of existence that that higher elevation that we should be attaining to escapes. God further shares with us, my eyes search to and fro throughout the earth looking for one whose heart is seeking me. Remember what David says in, the, in his poem in the psalm. You tell me to seek you, Father. I tell my heart your face I will seek. God says, hey, I'm looking, come look, come find me. David tells him, I'm coming, I'm looking for you, I seek you. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you get into the word of God, get into the Bible, which is our guidebook, our instruction manual, our roadmap to this broken plane of existence that we have to manipulate and get through and around, if you seek him in that place, seek him in that word, he will be found. He doesn't hide from anybody. It's not a game of hide and seek with God. 
more like, Father, I'm here. Here am I for you. I love you. I'm glad that you're here. Adam and Eve, they went someplace, but God knew where they were, but he wanted them to communicate with him anyway and come because he's father created. And when they fell, everything he gave them except for the tree. And Satan only half-truthed it because we did die. And the fall from Adam and Eve when they fell from grace and taking of the fruit, which God told them not to do. And he said, you will surely die. And then, of course, Satan came along and perverted the word and manipulated the word. And said, ah, you're not going to surely die. Yes, they did. And remember, there's a term and definition I've shared with you. You have death and perishing. Well, they did that second death. They fell off because they left that companionship that they had with God. God would come in the cool of the evening and walk through the garden with them and talking to Adam and Eve. And they they were walking with God in the cool of the evening in the garden out there, all the flowers and the beautiful dewy grass and they threw that away because they fell into that vat of white noise interference that Satan was pouring out there. And it wasn't a physical death that they took, but they did die. We all did. Falling from grace. His grace is great and his grace is free. Further, God relates. I see you trying to find me. Our mutual search results in joyful fulfillment. You ever see, sometimes you find them posted. They have the reunions when people are gone for a long time and they see each other and it's this, this embrace and they, in the middle of an airport, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where they are, down the street and they go. I love the one with the, with the two children and they make this big, they make a big production of it. You have this little, this little black boy and a little white boy and they I, they grew up in the same neighborhood and they had moved apart and um, they saw each other down the street. Mom and dad were walking their kid. Mom and dad were walking theirs and the kids saw each other about the same time. Boom, off they ran. Off they ran to each other and grabbed each other and hugged like a man. It was, they almost knocked each other down. Beautiful. This is what God is looking for with us and what we should be looking for from him. And when we meet, wherever we meet him, we just, man, he gives such good hugs. 
God gives great hugs. You will never have a hug from anyone. It doesn't matter. Someone that you love dearly. I recall that here on this plane of existence. Really, really liked it. And then I foolishly, stupidly threw that out. Well, let me tell you this about that. God gives even better hugs. And I'm not going to foolishly throw that away. Oh, no. This is why I tell you all the time and you hear me say it all the time. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. But I do care. But I don't care for the validation that comes from mammon because that doesn't matter to me. That portion I really don't care about. It's not so important to me that I'm going to worry, worry, worry. Oh, my goodness gracious, sir. They're not going to like what I'm sharing. They're not going to like what I'm saying. I don't care. What I do care is that it is his truth, knowledge, and wisdom, and not of my own making and building, that it is his truth and knowledge, and his validation is all that matters. As long as God approves and the Holy Spirit guides, and I share it that way, and it is in righteousness and not in cruelty and anger and being mean, that's all that matters to me. That's all that matters to me. So if somebody comes up, bang, 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 bang. You Raven Whitehawk? Well, yes, I am. You're under arrest. For what? For sharing the word of God. For you're trying to manipulate people and blah, well, okay, let's go. And just like the word tells you, you don't worry about what you're going to say because God is with us. And if that's what it is and that's what happens, then that's what happens. Because sharing the truth is all that matters. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, Paracritos, Father God, to share that truth. Stillness of soul is increasingly rare in this plane of existence or this world that we're so addicted to noise and speed and having to have something to do all the time. And there's folks that I've run into and sadly even church folk that claim to be Christians that they can't stand not to be moving and dodging and around. And it's no wonder that they get up in the middle of the sermon and they get up and they start moving and they leave and they go out into the foyer and all. And then, of course, there's going to be some folks that are going to say, well, that's just a nervous condition. They can't help that. Yes, they can. Oh, yes, they can. Don't, don't be, what do they call it? Don't be a crutch. They don't need a crutch. What they need is prayer, calming, there's a choice that's made. Oh, yeah, they, they do. They can, if that's what they seek to do. But there's some folks they just can't stand to not be moving around or get involved in something. And I've even heard them make that comment. Oh, I just can't sit down. I can't sit still. I, I got to go. I got to go do something. And you ask them why, what, and they don't even know. They're just going to find something to do. I've heard them make the comment. I, I just got to go. I got to go find something to do. What? Very unfortunate. Stillness of soul is increasingly rare in this world, addicted to noise and speed. Hubbub, turmoil, something's got to be done. God tells us, I am pleased with your desire to create a quiet space 
where you and I can meet. Don't be discouraged by difficulty of achieving this goal. I watch all your efforts and I'm blessed by each of your attempts to seek my face. See, Satan likes to throw that poison into the, into the mix and he's like, yeah, well, you just disappointed God again. There you go. And, you know, quite often, and it comes to me. Oh, he comes at me with that all the time. And then uh, one of the things that Satan loves is self-degradation. Belittling yourself, getting in front of that mirror and degrading yourself. Look what I did. Look what I've done. And then God comes and he breaks through. He pulls down those foundational stones that Satan's been busy building and we allow him to do that and they get pulled down. Zechariah 2, 3. Be still before the Lord, all mankind because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. God's out and walk about and he's looking for you to come and commune with him. Be still. God's looking. So, brothers and sisters, we don't have to have something to do all the time. We don't have to have something to do all the time. And what is, what's interesting is that is that, and there are those individuals that they don't like the analogy of being called a sheep. Well, they really, I share this with you quite often is that when you look to be offended by something, you're certainly gonna find offense in anything you look at. There were, there's some individuals that I was just bending over in customer service to them and they still found something to complain about. And the sad part of it is, is that sometimes individuals that weren't even involved would come and have something smart mouth to say about my being kind to somebody. I always had a retort. I just look at them and say, well, you know something? If the day for you sometime is just like this day, pouring down rain, cold and miserable, I would do the same thing for you that I just did for this person. No different. And immediately just shut their mouth up and they decided to go throw themselves down in a seat and then they were looking around and people with smiles on their faces looking at what a complete buffoon they just made of themselves for coming up to try to ridicule me for being kind to somebody who was getting poured rain on. I mean, that's you got to show kindness and compassion. You still have to keep doing it no matter what Mammon will say, and they will look to degrade you. It doesn't matter. Does it matter so much? And sadly, that there are more people that consider the validation from mammon to be of more import than they do their kindness and compassion and doing the right thing 
that they fall out and they do what everybody else is saying they should do. Not actually hurting somebody, but they're just not doing it. Oh, it's okay because you're not hurting them. No, it's not okay. Kindness and compassion and doing the right thing all the time. And we just have to practice that. So we have to remember that thing. And in Chronicles, Book of Chronicles, that's an interesting place to be. You know what a chronicle is? That's kind of a rhetorical question because I already know that some of you don't and some of you do, but you should know that I'm going to share with you anyway. So a chronicle is kind of like a journal. It's a, it's very similar, but journals tend to be not so um, not so regimented, and a chronicle is more regimented in that they it's date facts, number fact, and they're, they're more in line. And just, you've heard the term chronological order. So when you go into a chronicle, you can actually go and find historical facts and things that were taking place. So the book of Chronicles, you have first Chronicles and second Chronicles. And the Chronicles is a registration of events that occurred to the nation of Israel for their kings that were put in and anointed because prior to being kings, they had judges and they would bring disputes and things to them and the judges would make decisions. And then too, you had God's prophets that were very powerful prophets and they were known to me, and they would travel around where the where the spirit took them, and they would they would pronounce judgments and give directions. But if we go to Chronicles, kind of an interesting read. I'm going to go through a little quickly with you. But in in Chronicles 16. We're talking about King Asa, the king of Israel at the time. And um, they had issues. He had issues with Judah. And he started building a little fort city, Reba. And that he was going to, uh, he was going to kind of be there. And that he was going to have a watch over what was going on in Judah. But then what he did, the mistake that he made, is that instead of going to his kin or going to within the within the nation of Israel, he went to Syria. And the Syrians had come in and their king was staying in Damascus. And he went to Syria and he pronounced to 
the king that there had once been an agreement or a, um, yeah, an agreement between his father and the Syrian king's father and that he was going to, he wanted that with him also. And he went into, Asa went into and brought, and he went into the, the, well, he went into the synagogue and he took out gold and silver And he came in and made an agreement with the king of Syria, and he wanted him to break the agreement that he had with the other fellow because he was going to buy him out. So here I got this gold and silver. He didn't, of course, brag about going into the house of the Lord and taking it, but that's where he got it from. And as we see in verse three, he says, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go break thy league with Basha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And he was obnoxious fellow and individual, and he wanted to have his, his, and not share with anybody else. Mine, 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 I don't want to share. Mine, mine, mine. Hey, Syria, I want you to have my back. You watch out for me. I don't want him around me. And Ben-Hadad hearkened to the king, Asa, and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they smote Ijon, Dan, Abamem, and all the store cities of Naphtali. He went and he did it. And... It came further reading in verse five. And when it came to pass when Basha heard it, that he left off building of Ramah and let his work cease. Then Asa the king took all Judah and they carried away the stones and all that was being built and the timber thereof wherewith Basha was building and he built there with Geba and Mitzvah. And at that time, Hananiah, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah. Now, this was, you had prophets and you had uh, individuals. They, they, in the day, they would call them seers because they had visions that were given to them. And they were visions that God told them to share. And he gave it to them for a purpose. And they knew things. They told folks things. And sometimes the kings wouldn't like this. Well, the seer came to Asa, the king of the Judah, and told him, and he said, because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and you did not rely on Lord thy God, on Hashim, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. And then he reminded him, he said, were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered you out of their hand. He, he was with you. They didn't come in and, and destroy the city and take you and hots and all that. He said, you relied on the Lord and you followed what the Lord told you to do. And 
And as we see in here, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore the henceforth thou shalt have wars. So because he ignored God and he decided to do all these things on his own, things happened that weren't exceedingly good. God wants to do good. But here, just like I shared with you in Hebrews 11, uh, some theological wizards declare that to be the house of, house of or the, uh, the hall of faith. And it is. But as I shared with you before, if you go through and you see all those names that are listed, there's a number, 12, 14 of them, I believe. If you go through there and you see those names and then you go back to the corresponding Old Testament scriptures about those individuals, they tried to do a lot of things on their own. And when they did, they fell on their face and then they repented because they knew that in doing that on their own and they turned to God and they gave it back to God and they relied on their trust and faith in God. So, Again, I share with you, and I've done so before, is that many people say, well, how can I have faith in someone I can't see? How do I have trust in someone I can't see? Well, there's the thing. Trust and faith. You might not see them, but you know they're there for you. It's like that um, we've done it in seminars, and we've done it in, in uh, usually a work thing, and they have, uh, they call it the game of trust, where you have an individual, well, turn their back towards somebody and then close their eyes and the person behind them catches them when they just let go and fall. And some people can't even do it because they have a real definitive trust issue. They won't fall back because they believe that that person is going to move and, and drop them. And I have seen actually that these supposed adult individuals will play that childlike game and when the person leans back, they do. They step back and they don't catch them. Well, how in, how inane is that? You're a grown adult and this person is putting their trust in you and then you fail them. Well, this is what happens with mammon. Mammon will walk away and they will fail because that's the nature of that beast. But God's grace will not fail and does not fail. And further along, if you continue reading in, in chapter 16, that the seer came and told Asa truth. Well, that agitated him. And it says, further reading in verse 10, then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in prison house, for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. Well, that thing was the word of God and the truth that came from God. And this prophet came to the king with that, but it ticked off the king, and because it didn't sit with what he had in his mind, he threw him in prison because of sharing the truth, the knowledge, and the wisdom that God had imparted to him. And he tried to share that. But Asa was all caught up in everything that he was all about. 
Further, and behold the acts of Asa first and last. Lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Asa in the thirty and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. He couldn't even walk or hobble around. And back in those days, he didn't have walkers, but he had to have a cane in both hands to be able to get around. That's how bad it got. And then it got so bad. Yet in his disease, he sought not the Lord, but to his little magicians and his earthly physicians that wanted to do the mumbo jumbo. He did not seek the Lord. Now, understand this. There are some physicians that like the guidance of the father. Rafa, the great healer. And when you go to a doctor, see a doctor in these things, I pray and I'm, I'm praying that I'm doing the right thing with this here and that when I see them or when I get this taken care of, I'm praying about it and God's got me doing these things that I should be doing according to what the doctor is sharing. And quite honestly, there's some things that I'm led away from. But seek his face in all things. In all things, seek the Spirit. John tells us and writes about it. The disease in Asa was really, really bad. And as we continue reading, we look into verse 12. Yet in his disease, he sought not the Lord, but to the physicians. He completely ignored God. When you go and you see a doctor, you pray before you go in and you talk to them and, and you take counsel and the Holy Spirit's going to lead your sense to the counsel from the physician is good or not. But it said that he didn't even, he didn't even consider God. He didn't even pray about anything. He just went to do whatever the doctors told him to do and they were not always good at what they do. Remember the woman had the issue of the blood for 12 years. She kept going to the doctor, going to the doctor, going to the doctor and nothing would happen for 12, 12, 14 years. She had the issue of blood going on and everybody thought she was unclean. And then when she heard that Jesus was gonna come, she wanted to come and see him. And she came down. She goes, all I need to do is just touch your robe. I know. I know that he can heal me. A little confused in her, but she came anyway. And then when Jesus was pressing the crowd, what did he say? He turned and he looked because he felt her. He felt, he didn't feel her touch him. He felt the virtue that went out from him into her. That's what Jesus felt. And the disciples didn't understand when Jesus turned around and looked at him and they were close by him and he said, someone touched me. And they're like, well, yeah, you've got thousands of people coming in and trying to, and he didn't scold them and he didn't rebuke him. He goes, no, somebody touched me. He didn't get like that at all. He just said, someone touched me. And then he looked around on his own further and he looked down and he saw her weeping and down at his feet. And then she asked forgiveness. And he said, your faith has healed you. And she went and she bathed and she washed herself clean and the issue of blood was gone. But she had gone to the doctors for so long and so long and so long. And some people, when you go empty that way, things just continue, continue, continue. But here's the thing that you have to remember too, 
is that you need to pray in all things and know that God's will and you know that God's will be done and it must be prayed at and trust that it be done. And I shared with you, my brother was, did pass away. He died, gone to heaven. He believed in God and we, there was enmity between the two of us for quite a long time. But then I saw that his heart had changed and outwardly things were different that way. And also I could feel and sense it. And I know that he believes in God, believed in God and is with God. And when I prayed, and some people have a problem with this, but that's okay. Again, I say, I don't care because validation comes from God. But I knew that either way that God chose to do this. Now I knew, and I believe that God could have taken him out of that walker and out of the thing and just totally restored him. Everything would be fine and beautiful and he'd be not in a walker. But he had also passed and gone on to a, point in his time and just is having a great deal of difficulty and things are going on and for whatever reason God said no I'm gonna bring him home and that's okay because the miraculous healing was done anyway either way God chose to bring him home and do it he is young he's strong no more disease no more brokenness no more tears no more pain and on this plane of existence there is all of that continuing God chose to take him home, and I prayed that. Either way, doesn't matter. But one thing that we really, really, really need to pay attention to and believe and hear this is that, um, as David wrote in his poem in Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that is my Lord Jesus. He is my shepherd. And his voice, when he calls, you can hear, you You have to lean in and listen. I've shared with you about my shepherds. It's an amazing thing to see when it happens. Three or four shepherds, they gather together in this fold, but... My goodness gracious, they all know their shepherd's voice, the tonations. They might sound similar to you, but the sheep know there's a difference and they don't get confused. Pretty interesting analogy. Brothers and sisters, you're in my prayers and my going out, my coming in for the day, the opportunity. Listen to the truth, the knowledge and the wisdom that Lord has given to me to share with you. Hear what I'm saying, but listen to what I'm saying. Go to the word and seek his face.